Welcome to episode 321 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back to another episode. Brian, we got a good one today. Another interview, a double interview. Double. We haven't had two guests on the show at the same time since you've joined the podcast. And even it was a rare occurrence when Bryn and I did it. Mm-hmm. Double team. Today we're talking with Meg Robichaud and Ryan Putnam. What a power duo of illustrators. Like, Yeah, right? we are very lucky. Holy shit. We had a great conversation. We're going to get to that here in a minute. But there's something you should know. We recorded this well in advance of when it's coming out. So we don't have a whole lot of follow-up, nor do we have uh, new patrons to, to shout out. But I will say, if you are enjoying the show and, and want us to continue doing interviews like this, we would appreciate your support. If you go to patreon.com slash design details, that is where uh, listener contributions help offset the cost it takes to produce this show every week. So every dollar matters there and we really appreciate your support. That's patreon.com slash design details. And thank you to all patrons who are currently our patrons. And speaking of patrons, a huge thank you to Sisu. Sisu is looking for a thoughtful and data-savvy designer to help them build the next generation of analytics software. Go learn more at sisu.ai. That's S-I-S-U dot A-I. Thank you, Sisu. This episode is also sponsored by Flatiron. Flatiron School is where you can learn how the future is being built so that you can change anything, starting with a new career in UX and UI design. If you are an entrepreneur running your own business, a marketer diving deeper into user behavior, or if you're just someone who loves design and you want to level up your skills, now is the time to do it at Flatiron School. They have a 24-week course that takes place at one of their global WeWork campuses or online. They have committed instructors that have both industry and teaching experience and are backed by their master teachers and learning experience designers to make sure you are learning the right things and have the right support along the way. In this program, while you're learning about user experience and user interface design, you'll be working on real client projects so that when you graduate, you'll have a portfolio of actual work that you can take forward in all of your future job interviews and and portfolio presentations. And having real work is pretty important. So this is a great aspect of the program. It's going to help you change careers with confidence. They also provide one-on-one support from their dedicated career coaches, and they also offer a money-back guarantee. You can get complete details of this offer at flatironschool.com slash terms. And when you are ready to level up and dig into user experience design, go to flatironschool.com slash design details and enroll in their 24-week course. So that's flatironschool.com slash design details. Thank you so much to Flatiron School. Thanks, Flatiron. All right, tiny bit of follow-up. So at this point, this will be a little bit delayed, but we got an awesome tweet from Michael Kneprath, the ghost, friend of the pod. (laughs) That's his Halloween persona. (laughs) Halloween persona on Twitter. Michael captured a great little snippet of the, the show from episode 319 where we were talking with Jonathan Coleman. And in that clip, we were talking about the importance of aesthetics. I think we were quoting Don Norman. And at the time, Don Norman originally wrote the design of everyday things, he had a pretty negative stance on visuals and like really came down hard on just the usability and function of the thing. And I think we referenced that in episode 319. But Michael came to the rescue and it turns out that there was a revision to the original thought. So there was a revision to the book. And in that revision, Don Norman explains how important the first visual what Don Norman calls the visceral response to an interface, 
how important that really is. So the quote here is, great designers use their aesthetic sensibilities to drive these visceral responses. So great follow-up, and I didn't know about that revision to the book, so good to know. It's always interesting to me when someone changes their mind on something. Yeah, in general, yeah. And updates them themselves, yeah, yeah. I think it's an important trait to have, to constantly be questioning your opinions and updating according to new evidence as it comes in. Agreed. So thank you, Michael, for the the tweet and helping us set the record straight. All right, that's it for follow-up, Marshall, since we don't know what else has happened uh, in the future. <laughs> Let's just get into this interview, which is very good and, and a bit long, but very valuable, I think. Yeah, let's dig into it. Here we go with Meg Robichaud and Ryan Putnam. All right, so today we have a very special, famous guest. You may know her from such films as When Harry Met Sally, and uh, you've got Mail, Sleepless in Seattle, City of Angels. Today we have on the show Meg Ryan. Oh, everybody, welcome no, no, Meg Ryan. No, 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 no. Hang is on, it, Marshall. Wait, Marshall. It's not. We're talking to Meg and Ryan. Oh, fuck. I got to get rid of all these questions <laughs> I wrote. Fuck. Uh, okay, give us a second. We're gonna regroup. <laughs> I gotta regroup here. Hi, Meg and Ryan. Hello. That was oh. our gag. We didn't warn them about our gag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like it. Goofs. Goofs. <laughs> All right. For real, we're here with Ryan Putnam and Meg Robichaux, friends of the pod, previous guests. Uh, but it's been a while since we've caught up. For people who don't know you, maybe let's just do a quick intro and catch people up on kind of what you're up to these days. I'll call on Meg first, since there's two people. It's a little hard. And we're all remote. Yeah, I'm I'm Meg. I am an illustrator at Lyft. That's that's it. That's all I do. That's really all that's been going on, Meg. That's it. <laughs> nothing, nothing new in your life. Cool. Nope. I live in San Francisco now. Yeah, oh, yes. that's my other new thing. Welcome. And I bought a motorcycle. Okay, here we go. Keep going. What'd you do <laughs> yeah. with the motorcycle? Uh, see, Bryn should still be on the show. <laughs> Ooh, yes. Well, I bought it two days ago, so I've driven it to work, and then I got a parking ticket, and then I left it at work. <laughs> Solid <laughs> first two days. Uh. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, okay, Ryan? Uh, yeah, I'm a designer, illustrator type of person. I'm currently an art director on the brand team at uh, Messenger. I just recently moved to Colorado, so just missed Meg as she moved to San Francisco. But yeah, that's pretty much my life right now. You're in my home state, Ryan. Oh, you're from Colorado? I am. Where, where, what part are you in? I'm in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Oh, okay. Where are you from? Yeah, originally? I've got some family there. I'm from Evergreen, like a little north and west. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's a beautiful place. It's kind of boring, but uh, the outdoors are amazing. So <laughs> Boring, but beautiful. But also, it <laughs> yeah. uh, sounds like you're working remote, which is yes, yeah, uh, a dream for many. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, there's positives, negatives for sure. I get to actually the Bay every month for about a week. Oh, nice. Uh, so I'm still there a lot. Oh, boy. I'm tired thinking about that. <laughs> it's intense. <laughs> okay. Well, let's lay some context here because we invited you both on the show very specifically. There's, as with, as podcasts do, we're a little late to the party, but there was some conversations on Twitter that we felt like uh, we needed a little bit more nuance talking about. And uh, specifically, I think at this point it was, on October 17th. So when this comes out about two weeks ago, Pablo Stanley released a set of illustrations available for free and free for commercial use as well. And basically what happened after that was, 
I know we're not supposed to say it, but it was an episode of Design Twitter. Like, I think, <laughs> I think, like, people came out in force with really strong opinions. And I thought what was really interesting from my perspective was that the opinions basically divided into two camps. And the members of those two camps seemed to loosely be product designers versus practicing illustrators. I don't know. Oh, so I'll, I'll just gut check here. Does that sound right from both of your points of view? Do I have this accurately? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I yeah, experienced. Sounds... Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you both are designer illustrators um, working in-house at tech companies, and both of you are quite vocal in the conversation. So I, I think maybe it'd be useful to just start with, like, from your perspective, uh, with a little more than 280 characters, like, what happened and how could we maybe understand, uh, like, what the initial reaction was to to Pablo's resource that he released. Oh yeah, that's crazy. Who do you, you want to go first, Meg, or you want, or, or should we no, just like, go. who's waiting in? Yeah. <laughs> Let's just tag team this because I felt like <laughs> you actually had some really, you like articulated it like way better me in some cases with me just being like, oh, you're, you're awful. Or I didn't say that, but <laughs> anyways, yeah. So like Pablo, I've, you know, no hate towards him at like completely at all. So he put out that resource. I think this is like, the the second one kind of similar one he has put out uh i think right is that right yeah yeah okay cool so like this is like the second one and i think a number of us always kind of bring up the point that like we feel like this does devalue the work that we're currently doing and like it devalues you know illustrators and illustrations themselves how so so it, it happens like in a couple different ways to like and it, it and i've like always been saying that it does happen to like all kind of like career levels of an illustrator so like when I first started as like doing illustration, something like this would cut out kind of that work that I would probably be getting. And it's very emblematic of like the stuff I would get um, where it is maybe a set of illustrations for like a tech company or, you know, some small business, some small business or tech company um, that have like just pretty small budgets. So I do think this kind of like hurts those folks. And I think there's an argument that like, well, these are, you know, this is just small budget stuff that cuts you out. You all are working in, you know, these these bigger budgets like in-house. So this won't affect you at all. But I think it also does start to affect some of that. Well, you know, when I was doing uh, prior to like the um, the art direction at Messenger, I was doing like freelance contract work for about three or four, like about four years. And like people like in engaging with some of the clients in tech, I had a couple of them produce like Pablo's first kind of sentence. Like we want something like this. We want something where it's just this repository of stuff that we could pick and choose for when we need. And I, I eventually pushed them away from doing that stuff. But I think in that respect, like there's more of a need that I've seen from like more design PM kind of area that like wants something like this, that it's like this this repository that that they could pick and choose like what they want and i know that sounds like like a great kind of asset to have and it is in some respects but it doesn't value illustration as like a very prominent component for like some of this product and brand work that uh me and meg work on and just the power of it so much more than this i think meg you even called it just like a sticker sheet yeah i mean i think there's two there's two pieces to this to I guess what we were calling out as problematic 
there's the, there's the part that a lot of people are talking about about the like work that is actively taking away from their your peers which is like one half of the conversation and then the other half of the conversation is just like the way that it devalues our work is it's like having it's like because illustration has worked so hard to be a partner in as a content creator it would be like if you made all your sentences out of a like pre-made sentences instead of having a writer write them Mm. like those have like sticker sheets have always existed but there's something different when a product designer comes in and signs off on it as a good way to do it that changes the way that like we now operate in our day-to-day at work yeah okay i i want to dig in on a couple things here i thought your content comparison was interesting because i hadn't thought of it in that way before Uh, where certainly content writing is deeply technical and creative and very much derived or or part of the brand, right? Mm -hmm. It's like storytelling, right? Both disciplines. Yeah. I I think the comparison in my head, and I think just reading through the tweets, what maybe other people reached for was, how is this different from an icon set or from the maybe user interface perspective What's the difference between this and like a bootstrap or a UI uh, kit, generic UI kit, like material design and, and Apple's HIG? Like, where do we draw the line here? Yeah, I, I think like the, the content, it's the fact that illustration is content and not UI that makes that a different thing. The, the, it is like copy and pasting sentences. Like if we, we've worked so for so long to, be in-house and part of this process and and treated like like partners who can really help elevate the content inside of your product that to say that it's useful to be just copy and pasting these illustrations into like a UI if it was treated like a UI kit then like if you can copy and paste it and put it anywhere then it it can't be doing like it can't be saying anything like it is at that point entirely decorative, which is not what we're trying to do inside of products. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. Like if, if you're just copying and pasting without consideration of what the illustration is supposed to be communicating, then what's the point? But I think that that line of thinking ended up becoming an argument about the kinds of people who would use this anyways are the kinds of people who already don't value that like they're looking for the free cut and paste i need an mvp this weekend kind of client that wouldn't be likely to pay for it so does that vibe with you or do you disagree yeah i super disagree people in all of these tech companies are using them like people Mm -hmm. are using them at lyft today and it like it makes my job that much harder Mm. Yeah, I get specific requests from it. I think it like permeates like the industry more than we think. And I think that's why that's why I try to highlight it more like, hey, you know, like this stuff actually is affecting like, uh, you know, whatever the jobs that we're working on, it permeates that stuff a whole lot more than I think people realize. And it's and it's like an approach to illustration that people are wanting. They're like, hey, this this thing is pretty cool that I could pick and choose what I need. Like, can you just make that for me? And I get it. Like, you know, like rapid kind of production and stuff like that's kind of part of tech culture in itself. So I think it's like, that's why I just want to call it out and be like careful about like what this will kind of 
cascade into. Yeah, I noticed, Ryan, that in some of your subsequent tweets, of which there were many, I think <laughs> it seemed to me that you kind of rallied around the point that the fact that it was available for commercial use was problematic. Would it have been a big deal if, if this was released for free, or is there still something that doesn't sit right with you, regardless of the sort of commercial permissioning? I think my, my biggest thing was the commercial permissioning because it automatically places it in a context where people feel like it's accessible in every case, rather as something to explore, test out, try, kind of people say a lot of the time, like, hey, let's use this so we could like really sell illustration. I guess to me, you feel like you can do that without having that commercial kind of license part of it. I still think even though these free stuff do perpetuate kind of these type of systematic thinking towards illustration within like our, our community, which is like, that's just kind of progress or that's what people are calling progress. That's like, that's an inevitability, but like, I think the commercial aspect of it seems pretty, I, I don't think anyone has like come up with like a good answer to me of like why it should be like commercial commercially available because I would like to hear more too, maybe from y'all's perspective of like, I think people have referenced like, well, let's open source illustration. And like, I kind of don't really understand what that means. So I'm not sure if like, like I miss or like, I would love to hear more about it because I could be totally wrong, but uh, I would like to hear what open source illustration means. Yeah, I could talk to that point. And I think from my point of view, the the idea of illustrate, uh, sorry, of open sourcing is partially just demystifying what it takes to make the sausage letting people see the mistakes that are made or even the the techniques behind probably in the code world like the composition of components the way that people organize their code base like these are the kinds of things that people are curious about uh, i think anecdotally we open sourced spectrum and one of the most common comments we got was it's so useful for seeing just how you've structured the code it wasn't really about the code itself and so it's really about opening the doors to people who feel like programming is super intimidating or feel like there are certain rules that they haven't sort of been given the answer to yet. And when people open source projects, it's basically demystifying that process of like, here is, here's everything. So I think if I were to compare it to illustration, it's like, here's how I've structured my layers. Here's the way I think about using masks and gradients and strokes. Like it's, let people poke at the process a little bit um, in an attempt to to make illustration or, or any of these open source fields like more approachable, uh, more beginner friendly, right? I think that's the idea. That's interesting. Like, that's cool to get that context. I'm, I'm still interested in seeing how like, you know, like open source, that process, that visibility is like, why does it have to be kind of connected to a commercial kind of like value or why can't, I mean, like I... I ran a blog Vectips for like five, six years where I gave out tons of tutorials. I gave away freebies and shit, you know. Nice plug, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you're doing here, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think all, uh, this is one thing I wanted to get down to more too, like what problems like this thing, this this set is actually trying to solve. From my point of view, it seems like this visibility or, or I, I want to dig into more of all these problems that it's trying to solve because I think everything could be solved without a commercial availability license on this stuff. Or like I, I've been talking to some other folks too, of like make Meg, I need to get you on this, but like trying to like 
you know, I want to get all these problems, figure out what they are and come up with a better solution. That's like good for everyone in the community itself, because like this, this, this visibility or like digging into kind of the files and everything like that, like we could do that without, without making this like free stuff. Yeah. That's a fair point. Just to say the illustration community does like goes above and beyond in that same like spirit there's so many tutorials and and like live drawing and and every every way we can think to share our process and let you poke and let you see how we do it so i don't think it's something that we're ever against oh no yeah yeah i think you're you're right yeah so so basically like if if everything had happened exactly as it had happened except there was no commercial use on them like you guys wouldn't have a problem right I personally wouldn't bat an eye. Like, I would be totally fine. I think, like, the same effects would still happen eventually. Like, kind of this this placement as illustration as more of a systematic kind of detachment from content kind of thing. I'm not excited about that, but I do think, like, that's eventually going to be where it's at if we prioritize systematization, uh, systemize kind of efficiency. So hmm. I wouldn't have, like, put up a big stink about it as much. But I still think it it suffers. I mean... Giving away free work does that. And I've been a contributor to that too in my career. So how about you, Mike? I think I'd still struggle with it. Really? Yeah. I mean, certainly not as much, but I, I think there's, there's something that like, it's the product designer signing off on this as a good process that I really struggle with. Like we can go to Stocksy or whatever forever. And we've all known that exists, but to have someone who understands product design and understands the value of content and understands what we're trying to do with illustration to sign off on this as like a good process and a good habit for it. And all of these tech companies are now using it. And now I have to go around and say like, that's not the value we bring. That's not actually what we're here for. We're actually like trying to make all these products easier to use and more accessible. And, and like, we're, we're trying to do something different. And, and now someone else who's also well-known product illustrator is telling other product designers who are more junior that this is a, a great way to put illustration into your product. Uh, so I, I still find it pretty problematic. I think there's two interesting things that you just mentioned there. And I don't know how deep we can go here, but I guess first, do you think that the same issue or conversations would have happened if Pablo wasn't popular on the internet? Probably not. I mean, there's also like the fact that like a whole bunch of well-known directors went to bat for it. There's there's also something that just like felt so uncomfortable with all of the illustrators came out and said, this is problematic. And then all of the product designers just like not acknowledging our experience in the industry and us looking out for our peers was pretty painful. So I think they're like, he elevated it to a certain point, but then it, it was the the directors at Facebook coming out to say that they actually believe in this thing that they they are out of touch with that I think really elevated the conversation. Yeah, I think that's like where I dug in. I mean, I think like, again, this would have came out. I've been like, oh, yeah, I don't like this. It's like, I don't think it's that great and devalues it. And then I think it was the conversation around it what happened which got me probably most worked up and like to hear kind of folks like just disregards like oh 
shut up. You're you shut up. You know, like we don't want to listen to you. I think that's probably where I dug in more um, or like was oh, yeah. was more upset, I think. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I want to get to a second more important question, but first on, on this same track, like, was it because he's popular? The second question is, well, Pablo, we, we caught up with him on our previous episode and he admits that these are just doodles. Like, I don't think he ascribes any bar of quality to them. He admits, you know, these are just rough things, but I'm curious if it's hard because this style is very popular right now, right? Like this aesthetic is popular in tech products. And I'm curious what you would think if the illustrations themselves were objectively bad. Like if they sucked, if the composition was terrible, if the people were nonsensical, like is there a degree of quality here that that also impacts the way that this comes of, across as devaluing the craft? To me, it's not like a, a necessarily about quality, about like the positioning of the style itself in the industry right now. So like it feels like it's very much a direct kind of call out to things that are popular right now like maybe MailChimp this is very derivative of that so I'm not even it's not like if it's bad work it's like fine it seems like the intentions behind it were way much more than like oh these are just doodles of course I'm like you know like imparting a lot of intention on that but to like disconnect those you 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 just kind of can't from you know, this person that's like part of this industry and seeing this stuff come out. So I don't think, I guess maybe back to your question of like, I think quality maybe might not make it more apparent or popular, but like, I think it still kind of suffers from the same, the same, like, maybe you shouldn't do that. Or like, maybe you should think, think about it kind of, or this is a principle thing. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, as long as other product designers are in the industry are using them, it's going to have the same effect on us. Got it. Okay. All right. Here's here's what I really want to touch on, which is, and I, I need pushback here because I think these are the examples or probably stories that came to mind from other folks with like a product designer open source, like day to day, which is... UI kits have been coming out for years, and obviously the biggest and most popular and well-known one is Bootstrap. And I think when Bootstrap came out, there was a question of like, ah, here goes all the product design jobs. But a couple things immediately became apparent. The first was you could identify Bootstrap anywhere. Like the aesthetic of it became recognizable. Even the skins, like it has a feel, right? You can feel when you're on a site that used Bootstrap. And I think that the people, people in the tech community certainly started to regard that as like a great prototyping or like it's more about speed and cheapness and less about like the quality of the final thing. Not a knock against Bootstrap, it just became so popular. And then the second thing that that happened right away was I think because of that popularity and the number of companies that failed while using it, I think people realize like, oh shit, it's actually not like the the UI kit itself. It's the way that it's employed that is important. And so when I'm listening to you two who are uh, obviously super talented and well-known in the industry and you're talking about the importance and role of illustration and the way it interfaces with content and brand and tone, like you know the meat of the thing. Don't you think that free resources like this would only heighten that or has the potential to heighten that importance? I think, yeah, it could potentially, but after going through the cycle that you just described, possibly too. Like, so we're going to have to contend with kind of this, this thinking of 
these systematic kind of illustration things. And then we'll just have to be beholden to people once they realize it doesn't work. Why can't they just listen to us right now? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. let's, I mean, we could go through, like, we could skip all of this and possibly even just like skip this by providing free resources that aren't commercially, you know, available. Like, again, there has to be no like connection to like commercially free work on this stuff too. But it, yeah, it, it gets back to that part. Like, oh, no one actually listens to us or listening to our experience. And that's what it comes off as. So that, yeah, like that's what it kind of feels like too. Yeah. I, I think I, I agree with Ryan. It definitely, I mean, you, you could be right. It could make everyone see obviously that no free resources should ever be used. We also would do like FPO works pretty well. Like I, they're just yeah for placement only. Yes. Wait, sorry. What's FPO? I missed that. One. <laughs> for for placement, placement only. only. Oh, <laughs> the, the thing I said. I did not map the actual, <laughs> the words that you said. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Sorry. We we have to we we try to like say all of the acronyms in their full words. Oh, and we also yeah. try and keep me up to date because I'm a little bit slow <laughs> on the draw here. Yeah. Sorry. Continue, Meg. Yeah, just I don't see the benefit that these are bringing to that process that we don't already have kind of built into the process. And and all it does is remove us from the conversation. Yeah, that's a good point. So this is so interesting. I like really digging into like all these specific because like from just like a product designer's point of view of where this thing is like good and not good or, or I mean like what would make your life easier because I don't think I'm also of the same mind I'm not like product designer shut up just like let me let me do my job just you know no input or whatever I think like some of the best co collaborations I've ever had have been with product designers and same some of the best like feedback has been specifically from like product designers for sure okay I I definitely believe that you all had valid needs and requirements. And like, I'm super interested in getting at those at like a, a good place. Like where else is this thing like capturing some need of product designers? Like what's like, people are like, oh yes, thank God, finally this free set of doodles. Yeah, again, from I, I'm actually surprised to hear that a product designer at a place like Lyft would use that because it, from my perspective, point of view at least the outside point of view lift is like the one place where there's so many talented illustrators i'm like how could you <laughs> seriously it feels like it ties back to i think my point of like the people who need a tool like this are the people who are are reaching for ui kits and they're reaching for uh wordpress themes and things like that as just ways to stand up an idea and validate it and hopefully like start a business or a product or, or something like that. And obviously I'm wrong and we're going to find anecdotes of people at Lyft that are copying and pasting these. But <laughs> I, I guess that's where my mind jumped to is like the audience for this is that kind of person who who reaches for a WordPress theme, right? Yeah, that was the that was the hypothetical like uh, straw man rhetorical version in my head too of like yeah somebody who never would have used it in the first place, right? Mm. But <laughs> this proves that wrong. My only point in in saying like I I don't mean to call it Lyft. Like I I think my experience with every tech company is that like people are everyone reaches for the free resource a lot of people like we spend the majority of time our time doing like major education efforts just like to say that illustration is useful and that's like th there's the design side but there's also all of the the not like pms and and like 
all of brand is not as educated in product illustration whatsoever. Like there's a whole, there's a large swath of designers and non-designers who work internally at these large companies who immediately reach for these resources and think they're a fantastic resource to be using. And they have no reason to believe otherwise. I've been trying to pinpoint to like working with like product designers over a long time. I think there's like some validity in some of the stuff that like they want to, I mean, and you all stop me if I'm wrong here, but like this expediency of like being able to like prototype stuff quick. Yeah. that That's not just happens outside of small budget things. That's, you know, people are like designers are trying to test stuff quickly, trying to get some like validation on some stuff. So like, I do see that there's like some needs in like certain components that like maybe these like rapid illustration systems kind of can facilitate. But that's not to ship, right? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Not commercially. <laughs> I consider that not commercially free. Yeah. So like these things have their place like they have their place, like whether I like it or not, kind of like, sure. I would like every kind of, uh, experiment or test to have like a fully realized kind of illustration paired with like the right kind of copy and the right design and stuff. But like that doesn't really happen. Yeah. Yeah. So like there's some, I wonder what that middle ground would be for kind of that kind of stuff, but it's hard. Yeah. What you're saying resonates with me. Like I'm in a state where we have a fantastic brand illustration team at github but there's only so many people and they can only make so many things and so when i'm making new screens i'm like oh i really want a bespoke (laughs) illustration but i can't get it now so i'll just use a placeholder icon for now cool 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 um it's like there's a high demand and i think that the timelines especially yeah when you're in the prototyping or research phase like the timelines just don't align and this seems like common a common narrative we've heard from other illustrators other illustrators which is like there's just a gigantic backlog and everybody wants their thing right now yes. yeah it seems like a problem <laughs> <laughs> oh it hurts everyone's priorities are yeah. all screwy i do think there's like there's ways to these kind of things to build out like i mean intern i think you have to figure out kind of internally like what kind of system works for your team and the the needs of like you know the broader kind of team itself but i think there's ways like internally and externally like that these things could be like better done and i think replacing stuff like pablo's thing with systems that kind of hint at like some better approach to illustration given like you know faster prototyping uh understanding accessibility to illustration itself but like pose it in a way that it's like that is really kind of like this team kind of collaboration that can kind of happen i think something like that is better poised as a free thing in the world than just like free stuff and i think that could perpetuate better within our industry and the stuff that like me and meg deal with or product designers all of us deal with you know yeah i mean there is still like a world where i loudly told anyone who listened that i don't believe in libraries i I don't think they work and i still believe it but like you know drawing characters and telling stories isn't the same thing as like drawing a payment illustration like there there is a world where we can start like gathering things that can be repurposed that are the most that are basically ui like payments is the big one that comes to mind but like there is a list of that those types of things which like that would be a much i i would consider a a sticker sheet of payment illustrations to be a a way more like similar approximation to releasing a ui kit Mm, that's Hmm. interesting yeah 
I, I'm getting hung up on one thing and then I'm coming back to another. The thing I'm getting hung up on is this attraction towards systemizing things like design systems so hot right now. And it's, <laughs> bled, it's bled across the board, right? Like content strategy has content systems, engineering systems, design systems. Illustrations like this last bastion of it hasn't been treated that same way or, or like maybe people are trying but it just doesn't work because it doesn't feel right or it doesn't fit in and you kind of need this like personal touch on each one but I, it, this feels like we're still poking at illustration from, from the outside like in the same way that you know Pablo's tool had like a composition tool where you could adjust the colors is like we're poking at different ideas of systematizing this and and basically freeing ourselves to think of the higher level problems. Like I think design systems are not a threat to UI designers in because now these UI designers are free to think about experience problems. They can like sort of elevate their craft because the system exists. This is where I'm getting stuck is I'm wondering if the same thing's happening here and we're just in a transition. Like could illustration within a tech company be systematized in such a way that illustration's role is about the storytelling and the context and the the placement alongside content. And I could be being totally just naively optimistic here, but does this make sense? Like where my brain's going? The dream is alive. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I would love to not be making every, every illustration, a custom illustration. We like, we do not scale as fast as the rest of the design team we can't keep up like they they take a lot longer than people think to do them well they don't last very long like they feel dated really quickly it would be amazing if we could find a way to systematize it and we're always like we kind of shut the door on it every couple months to say we got to stop thinking about this and then we start up another list of the ones that we can repurpose with the hopes of like not always making a custom illustration i've talked to a lot of other illustrators with different ideas about it about like a whole library of, of characters where you like kind of stick in the different skin tones and hair colors and body positions. And, and they end up feeling like there's something uncomfortable there. <laughs> I don't yeah. care for I, Yeah. I, I don't know. I haven't seen it. I would love it. Yeah. I think like, again, like we've all kind of like a bunch of illustrators, Meg, me, Brandon, like all the like awesome people I've worked with with like, like grapple with this a lot and like i think there's a lot of different things to pull out of like what to systematize itself i think we uh, designers illustrators quickly gravitate towards like some visual representation to like systematize so that's like meg was saying like oh someone has like all these different heads or all these different things but if we like try to take it out of the context of a visual system and into something like Meg has talked about as like content, then we could like create systems around that or like very specific guardrails. Like, you know, illustration does A, B, and C very well. And those are like specific emotions we're trying to elicit and stuff. So if we have like things we could systematize around there, it that's like another approach to it that gets away from some of this. Because I think, like Meg said, it's just going to be a losing battle trying to kind of keep a, a illustration system up to date. Uh, you know, I can't go through like, you know, some symbol and change it to like blue for these buttons, like a global change. That's harder to do with like illustration style. If you're like, okay, now all these are five point strokes. That's harder to do across a big 
visual library. So, you know, separating out like the the contents also gives like an edge in to like include product design, PM stuff like, you know, so you could actually like come to this stuff together and there's more ownership of like the system that is created together. And then everyone kind of just always works towards yeah. that. So like there's many ways like into like the system itself. I guess thinking out loud, are resources like the one we're talking about here a necessary part of the evolution towards what you've just described? It's like, to me, it's like very possible, to be honest. But like right now, that content and form or whatever, like whatever that's called, like composition and content are like disconnected from each other in Pablo's like presentation of this. It's just strictly the compositional part. Like, yeah, here's just elements, but it has like nothing connected to it. So uh, this this type of thinking perpetuated into you know tech or people that are using it is like strictly looking at it at like content visual stuff and i and like that is something i feel like i do come into contact with a lot people only seeing it in that way so yeah it might eventually be a part of it but i don't think it should be disconnected from that content or I don't know if any of that makes sense, but <laughs> yeah, like I don't think that stuff should be disconnected. Yeah, 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 I think that's an interesting point that it's the disconnect. Although what it makes me immediately think of is like design systems are that, right? Like they are components without context. Like here is a button without really, I, I guess the documentation could perhaps say like, here's the right time and place to use this button or this modal or this sheet. But a design system in the same way does have that disconnect between the aesthetic and the, the function of it versus like the appropriate application of it. We've tried before to do like one illustration is can be in the our library to be associated with like a very specific experience, like shared rides, for example. We can say anytime you want to talk about shared rides, you're allowed to use this illustration. It's limited success. <laughs> yeah. Well, what were the problems? I, as soon as I mean, I think it's it comes back down to the fact that we can't keep up with product design, and people uh, the same way it, that like this sticker sheet works. They just they need an illustration. They see one that's there. It's close enough. But the the problem there is that it doesn't just have impact on the place that they put it. It affects it everywhere else. Because when you, so we designed this illustration for shared rides, for example, um, and we put in a sticker sheet and then it gets used everywhere. Then when you actually see it in shared rides, you've already seen it before and it makes it look, us look like lazy. Like you, when you start to recognize illustrations throughout a product, it's not a good look unless you see it and you think, oh yeah, that's that thing that I saw the last time I used this thing. So like there's an association there that there's like a fatigue that's happening to the original illustration and the original experience that it was designed for yeah this is the hard part right like illustrations are just different than buttons like <laughs> yeah they're, they're which i that sounds obvious but like i guess I'm, <laughs> i love that sentence i'm gonna put on a shirt <laughs> illustrations are different As than illustrations buttons. are not buttons <laughs> this has been your evening wisdom from brian i think it's like hard to like describe that though because it's such a visual medium i mean it's like do this is like maybe a dumb question but it's like ux kind of are there like ux systems is there like user experience yeah. systems okay yes. cool. Yeah. so that's like okay 
what is that what does that look like or what is that like yeah i I think the experience system would be like how should you communicate that something has gone wrong okay and you can do that with a lot of things right like you can do it with color with content with iconography with motion right like vibration if your phone vibrates like oops maybe something's gone wrong so that kind of thing could be systematic if things go wrong use these elements to illustrate that Uh, conversely with success like a ding right like ding means success and that would be part of the experience system in my opinion yeah, I think uh, like haptic design is a really good example of systemization of, of this type of thing where like it's actually an accessibility thing, right? Where if someone can't see the screen, uh, the pattern of vibration is the signal, right? Mm-hmm. One thing I wanted to say is is a, a thing that I say, uh, I've said on the show before, which is people don't fucking read. And <laughs> a lot of times, I would argue even most of the time, the best way to communicate an idea quickly to people who are going through an onboarding flow or whatever it happens to be is illustration. And if that illustration is generic or you know just from a sticker sheet or something and doesn't directly relate to the copy below the right idea might not be transmitted correctly. Does that make sense? Totally. Totally. (laughs) I think this is the disconnect between composition and and context, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and we've done some research, uh, I mean, around illustration in the, in context. And usually what we find is that most of the time it comes back and they're like, no, it looks at your illustration. And we're like, oh, cool. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, every time they're like, oh, it looks like you don't matter. Like, super. Okay, well, can we draw whatever we want then? But what what does come back is, um, so people will usually look at, at like, they'll look at the biggest title and then they'll look at the price or like, and then maybe the text and then maybe the illustration, usually in that order. And they get everything from the text and it's totally fine, except when the text doesn't match the illustration. And there's like, they're, if they're saying different things, it's super frustrating. Yeah. They're like, I don't understand. Like, which one am I supposed to believe? <laughs> yep. Interesting. And, and so to like be putting in these illustrations that don't directly match the text, that now becomes a really frustrating thing. And, and like our recommendation is always to be like, if you don't have a custom one, just kill it. Like you're making it worse. Yeah. Yep. Agree. Okay. So I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm not hearing you, but. There is a part of me that thinks what we've just described as why illustration in the right context and with the right form is so important is the reason why ultimately an illustration set like this isn't material in its impact on the world in the same way that an icon set like, yeah, that's fine. But for our brand and what we're trying to communicate and the business we're trying to build, we need we want something that that fits us specifically. And the market basically will recognize that the right solution is probably not the stock kit in the same way that you won't find like major startups or like organizations these days necessarily reaching for bootstrap to fall back to that. So I'm wondering if like these two are maybe in concert like if they could both exist because we've illustrated how important it is that you have the knowledge of good illustrators applied to the right problem i totally agree like they can definitely exist and have existed for a long time like there have been 
stock illustrations. I mean, I go, I go look at stock illustrations all the time when I'm looking for like perspectives. The piece that I still like kind of want to dig in a little bit on is the, the fact that the product designer is backing these as a good process that like affects my day starting the day that they're released. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Let me, let me call on an example here. Let's dig into this one. Um, there's a couple of people that are making a CSS toolkit and sort of like a parent UI kit called Tailwind. And they're releasing stuff at a website called Refactoring UI. And they have a book that is about tactics used for developers to design better. And I think this is a really interesting resource because it's basically pointing out that a lot of UI is mathematical and functional in 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 ways that can be replicated over and over and over again. I think personally, and, and they're selling books on this, so it is, it's commercial as well. I think the part that doesn't feel threatening to me is that like you could have the greatest UI in the world, but if you haven't solved a product problem or a people problem, it's irrelevant. I don't know which direction that argues actually like <laughs> If that's <laughs> if that's saying that no matter how good your illustrations is, it's ultimately like the business itself. I guess personally, I'm not threatened by a, a resource like this because I feel like it's so generic enough that it doesn't matter. They're good tips. Like it's cool to see the process and I read all the tweets and stuff, but it ultimately feels not consequential on like solving a business problem. Yeah, I could see, I mean, like... So back to that, like, you know, that original question of like feeling threatened by some of this stuff, I think like, like you said, yeah, maybe like the, the industry will eventually come to the conclusion like, oh yeah, these suck. So like, why are we even using this? But it goes back to the thing, like we're, we're telling you that they suck kind of and like <laughs> yeah, so yeah. We, sometimes you know you just gotta let people shoot themselves in the foot right yeah. and, and maybe to that book too like i guess more if some i don't know everyone's relationships with their pms or anything like that but if like a pm came out with a book like that book or something it's like hey actually i'm trying to think of a situation a pm would do something that would piss off a product designer but <laughs> but uh, <laughs> But maybe, <laughs> you want some help? <laughs> so, well, 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 exactly. Like, what if kind of like a PM created resource? You like, hey, you know what? Actually, we could do this a lot quicker. And it's like, you know what? It'll speed up our process. It's just like kind of the way the market's kind of moving. And yeah, you, you know, I think product designers, you kind of got to like get all in or like too bad for you. And then the CEO sees it and it's like, oh yeah, like well, screw you, PM. You know, like this like cascades down kind of this whole thing. And it's just not like, it's hard because I'm like, oh, just like respect our experience. But that kind of, I think what it comes down to in most of these cases, like, hey, you know, like let's partner up on this. Let's not like, like come up a solution for my job or something like that. Yeah. So like it boils down to like some of that, like, yeah, we could tell you that this stuff doesn't work. Just listen to us. But doesn't mean I don't think this stuff should be like, this doesn't get at those problems of your like, oh, accessibility, learning about illustration. People want to do that stuff. So yeah, I just think there's other ways around some of these things. Yeah, there certainly are. I, I, I'm wondering like how well we could articulate what some of these unknowns are. And I think, Meg, you were getting to this, like what your team has explored with just continuing to bash your heads against this problem of <laughs> systematically solving illustration. 
But it seems to me that maybe this is part of the discourse problem, which is the industry and the people within it are just hungry for efficiency. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those remaining things that is inefficient. And we're trying to figure out how to do it. And I think it's like, what are solutions? Not instead of like, we're wrong, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, another one of those things would be branding. Yes, but but branding is a thing you do once in a blue moon, right? It's <laughs> not it's not an everyday kind of thing like illustration. I mean, that is kind of one of the other problems. Illustration should be more of a once in a blue moon kind of thing, and and because there's all these like because we're hungry for it, and because there's all these resources that let everyone make their like portfolio ready piece, it means that every one of these illustration teams and all these product companies are just like drowning under the volume of requests. And instead of having people like treat illustration as something that is really difficult to make and and should only be used every so often um, and has like a higher impact when it's done well, instead, we're just like filling them up with these free resources because we're just trying to all get them out. But Meg, yeah. it makes my mocks look so pretty, though. <laughs> I know. Everyone wants one. That's the point. <laughs> I, I'm not convinced how much we'll come to a conclusion here, but I do have some like tangential questions here. And since we're getting to an hour, maybe it's a good way to, to transition us out. I want to get just some insider perspective on what's going on at the macro level with illustration and aesthetic trends today. It seems... <laughs> talking about sticker sheets, <laughs> there seems to be something going on across tech companies in the last two years aesthetically with illustration that is making it really hard to distinguish products. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could name names. Products from each other. Um, but I, I don't think that's useful. Yeah, products from each other. And it's hard because the the illustrations themselves are unique. It's the aesthetic that's the same. And I don't know, maybe I'm just asking for your point of view on like the current zeitgeist and, and how it feels less so than like, is this a problem or not? Because I, you know, every, every <laughs> website also looks like Stripe. So, you know, <laughs> true, yeah. true. I mean, it's the same efficiency problem. Yeah. They're so fast to make and they all like it. I do like, I totally agree. Every every tech company and, and like every time someone comes out with something new and interesting someone else 50 other people take it and you're like what are, what are we, <laughs> we going to do here <laughs> like we have to make something that's really hard to make and i'm pretty sure the same conversation is happening at every single tech company where like we can go up and pitch like this these amazing really complicated really difficult beautiful illustration styles and then we can put a, a price tag on it and we can say or we can do these ones really fast they're like a little bit more generic but like you want illustrations we got you if you do that like there, there is there is a lot of efficiency and like weighing your options that i i suspect is factoring into them all kind of gravitating to the same style okay yeah that's cool i mean like yeah. i guess in general i feel like the life cycle of illustration within a brand context is way quicker than I would have said four, four or five years ago. I would, I would have think that the longevity of an illustration kind of uh, brand style would stick around just as long as like a logo redesign, but I think it doesn't. And that's kind of fine with me. I think it's kind of cool that like these, these styles come in and out. And I think it used to probably bug me more so 
um, that people would change up their style all the time. But uh, I think that's just uh, a product of the immediate visual kind of resonance of illustration. So yeah. like whatever is kind of impactful now it's going to change in a year, you know, which is great for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or like, you know, that's, I guess why I, I think maybe illustrators that could be a little bit more versatile kind of seem to do better. Um, if you're working like in house or kind of in tech in general, I also think another thing, you know, this is getting off topic, but I think illustrators now to like, r- should really anchor in kind of like, the extended kind of skill set they have because a lot of product illustrators I know are actually pretty good product designers. And then there's some that are like really good brand designers. So like kind of going back and forth between the skill set is like super important, but anyways, yeah. So I feel like illustration itself, it's just going to change a lot. And the stuff that kind of you aren't digging now, (laughs) it'll probably just change in a year or so. (laughs) I mean, does that make you, sad like i think from the ui perspective i'm hungry for somebody doing something different like i think everyone gets excited when somebody breaks the mold is is there the same same sort of community vibe on your end for me personally it is because that's like i personally like doing different things different styles i just like off to some i do a bunch of kind of different stuff so for me it's exciting but when you work in some of these companies and you just like ship the rebrand and you're gearing up for the next re illustration rebrand, it gets kind of like, you know, it could be tiring, I think, but, um, I tend to like it overall personally. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Meg, how you feeling? I go really back and forth on it. Yeah. I love seeing someone breaks some old, go do something crazy. Absolutely. We all like that, but it, it's also like sitting on a lot of these product illustrators are like starting to think more about accessibility and communication and like how we actually talk to people through illustration. And so like whenever someone figures something out, you're like, shit, we'll do that. Yeah. That's super cool. So there is like some part of like everyone kind of passing on their shared knowledge that that is more interesting to me in some ways than like everyone just trying to reinvent their wheels in their own corners. Yeah. 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 Well, maybe that leads us into probably a good ending point. I think my last question is like, what should people who are getting started in illustration do to accomplish the same goal of like learning and not reinventing the wheel? But like, what are alternate pathways besides like digging into open source resources? So I think there's like a lot of kind of tutorial kind of like free kind of resources to do like illustration specifically. But I think like, again, I was just mentioning it, like anchoring and something else, like a, a different skill set is like super important to like learn about product design, learn about like brand design. And then you could be someone's like, oh, I'm a product designer that specializes in illustration. And that skill set is like super valuable, I think, at least in the companies I've worked for. Again, like being a brand designer specializing in illustration, super beneficial. And just being an illustrator, super beneficial. But like, I think trying to go outside of the skill set of learning how to draw in like specific styles will be the most beneficial if you want to work like in tech and in these kind of companies. So like a broad kind of generalist knowledge is pretty nice to have. Yeah. Not to equate the two, but I feel like I would probably say the same to somebody who is really strong in UI design. It's like, Mm. it's very good that you can do this thing very well, Mm -hmm. but 
the design systems are coming. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they are going to eat you. So generalize. Yeah, totally. Meg, any parting tips, pointers, resources, guides? Guides. You can plug your, your Twitter if you want. I mean, that's totally valid. Oh, no. I, I, that's a trash heap now. I don't. <laughs> it's been really nice uh, living on a visa. I don't have any any work concerns now. Yeah? Oh, nice. No, I, th- I think I'd agree with Ryan and just say specifically, illustration is content. And the more we're, we're like emphasizing that constantly. And whenever I'm looking for an illustrator, the first thing I want to know is like, I don't really care if you can draw. I can teach you to draw. Like, can you can you tell me what you're going to draw and like explain to me why that makes sense? So yeah, I lo- I look for more content strategy than I do illustration. Interesting. That's cool. All right. Personally, I feel like regardless of of the ultimate opinion or what you take away, I felt like this conversation was really productive for at least being able to just dig into the points of view. So thank you both for taking the time. Cool. Yeah, totally. Yeah, this is great. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So I guess the only thing left to do now is is uh, list our cool things. Meg, I heard you have a cool thing. I do. I just started reading a book called Trick Mirror, and it's really good. It's not about design. What's it about? It's a series of feminist essays. One of them is about the internet and growing up in the age of the internet, and I haven't read the rest. So, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. In progress, cool thing. I like it. But you would recommend it. (laughs) But it's really good so far. Cool. Who's it by? I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. (laughs) Link in the show notes. Yeah, link in the show notes. I'll, I'll find it. Don't worry. Ryan, do you get a cool thing? So, of course, it's uh, Halloween in a couple of days. So, I yesterday, I was oh, like... Oh, this will be out after Halloween. Oh, uh, so you know. okay, cool. <laughs> this is still cool, too. <laughs> okay, cool. I was revisiting, like, old kind of VH, VHS artwork that used to creep me out really bad when I was, like, a kid. Like, going to the video store with my mom. There was, like, ten or so movies that, like, when I saw those covers, like, I'd completely freak out. So... The cool thing, I guess, was just revisiting like old things that used to scare me, especially in this spooky time. So, what's a movie that that the cover scared you? The the number one one, and I actually tweeted this the other day too. Is it's called Ghoulies? Ghoulies? Oh, Ghoulies. Yeah, I, saw your, I saw your tweet just now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was on your profile. I'm like, yeah. okay. <laughs> but yeah, like it, it totally freaked me out when I was younger. I always thought like some. Uh, monster... Oh yeah, that's spooky, man. Yeah, coming out of the toilet. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> But it was definitely like fun just to like look back, just like, oh, I remember that cover. What is that? You know, and then just like going through and reading about the history of the actual movie. I was like, oh, wow, this is like a really horrible movie, I guess. But um, it scared, <laughs> it scared me. <laughs> is it a horror movie that came out in the 80s? Yeah. Yeah. So then, most... yeah, it's 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 like a, a monster movie. Yeah, it's probably pretty terrible. But... <laughs> yeah. And most of the covers were because like, you know, like probably... <sighs> Yeah, like most, you know, in the video store in the late 80s is when I was looking at like those covers. So they were just, they would freak me out. But I like looking at them too, so. Cool. All right, well, we'll link to the the tweet in the show notes for people who want to see Ghoulies. Uh, And then you had another tweet about a movie called House. Oh, yeah, that was scary too. Yeah. I haven't seen either of these. I think I'll probably pass. (laughs) Hugh Laurie's really good in that movie. Oh. I'm joking. It was a a house joke. I was like, the connection's there. (laughs) I I, I opened the image and I'm like scanning the castles. I'm like, really? (laughs) Hugh Laurie's in this? That's pretty cool. Maybe I will watch this. (laughs) Uh, All right, Marshall, you want to go? Yeah. So, dear listener, I don't know if you listen to podcasts or not. Nah. But I'm going to guess you do. And my recommendation is a podcast, or actually two, and you can choose from them. You might like both, but uh, they are kind of a new 
thing that I've been getting into, which is, uh, this is kind of an antiquated term, but I guess I, I would call them radio plays in that they are, they are stories, they're serial voice acted stories with sound effects, and it's it's like watching a movie with the with the screen off, right? So there there are two of these that came out, and it's really interesting the stars they got on them. So uh, the first one I would recommend is called The Edge of Sleep, and uh, the main character is is played by a YouTube gaming creator named Markiplier. He's pretty big; you might have heard of him. And he's he's got an incredible deep voice, and he's perfect for voice acting. So, but but the premise of that is. If you fall asleep, you die. And there's a few people who didn't go to sleep last night. They're trying to stay awake. That's really interesting. Uh, the other one stars Rami Malek of Queen fame. Was that the name of the movie? Queen? No, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, yeah. And, and Mr. Robot, uh, if you ever watched that. And the premise of that, it, well, the, the name of this podcast is called Blackout. And the premise of this is all of a sudden, all the lights go out in this uh, small town in New Hampshire, I believe. And it's it's kind of it reminds me of the mist. It's kind of like the the small town dynamic of you know interpersonal conflict that that the mist uh, raised. Did you ever see that movie? Yes, Stephen yes. King. Yeah, Monster. yeah, yeah. It, it feels a lot like that. And yeah, and it's really good. They're they're both really well voice acted. I think the Rami Malek one is produced by him as well. So uh, yeah, if you're looking for essentially an audio book with sound effects that you don't have to pay for. The Edge of Sleep and Blackout. And there's a bunch more, I'm sure, but those are the two I've been getting into. And I think by the time this episode comes out, The Edge of Sleep will be done. And the first season of uh, Blackout is already over, so you can binge them if you Ooh. want. So that's my cool thing. All right, cool things. I'm torn. I'm going to do two, like, halvesies. So I just started the Netflix program called Living With Myself, starring my boy, Paul Rudd, who is the the most famous person i've been in arm's reach of and didn't talk to <laughs> <laughs> that's how you should treat celebrities in my opinion but yeah. yes yeah. no eye contact don't look at them just be aware that paul rudd is four feet away from me uh greatest <laughs> day living their life. life let them live their life <laughs> greatest day of my life i had plenty of daydreams afterwards about hanging out with paul rudd <laughs> yeah i just started it um the premise is interesting loosely like what if there is a way to just have a better version of you and we'll find out more i don't want to like spoil the first episode which is setting up the premise uh so since that's sort of a halvesies i'll, I'll combo one two punch my cool thing with another podcast called design life i just retweeted their most recent episode today Design Life is a podcast about design and side projects for motivated creators. It's by Charlie Prangley and Femke Van Schoonhoven. Schoonhoven, shit. Sorry. Oh, my God. Anyways, we'll have a link in the show notes. But uh, I was listening to the most recent episode, which was good and timely because it's something that I've been talking to lots of people about. And it's called Jumping from Junior to Senior Designer. It's just about navigating that one point in time of of designer's career i think it's a really interesting time and uh there's some good advice so those are my halvesies it's cool sweet cool things y'all all right well thanks meg and ryan we appreciate and not meg ryan we appreciate <laughs> you joining us oh yeah thanks for having us cool yeah this was great 
This has been episode 321 of the Design Details Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Also, can I quickly correct myself? I think in my cool things, I said living with myself, but the title I think is living with yourself. Living yeah. with yourself. Yeah. I, I didn't want to correct you because it was like, uh, people will get there. But yeah, you, you, you were wrong. You should have corrected me, Marshall. <laughs> yeah. Always correct me. Sorry. Um, as much shit as I give you, you do correct me at opportune times. So uh, living with yourself is, is my cool thing. We hope you enjoyed the show. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM. If you need more podcasts for your ears, head to spec.fm. That's our podcast network for designers and developers just like you and of course a huge thank you to Flatiron School for making this episode possible whether you're an entrepreneur running your own business a marketer diving into user behavior just someone who loves design and wants to level up you can sign up for Flatiron's 24-week course right now at flatironschool.com slash design details they're going to help you change careers with confidence and they have a money-back guarantee you can learn more at flatironschool.com slash terms So thank you, Flatiron, for making this episode possible. And of course, thank you to our patrons who are also making this show possible on a week-by-week basis. If you want to support the show, help us keep the lights on and help us keep producing content like this, please go to patreon.com slash design details, even if it's just a dollar a month. It really does mean a lot. Uh, That support means the world, and we appreciate it. So it's patreon.com slash design details. And of course, thank you, Sarah and Drew, our producer and editor who made this episode possible. They are also producing our other shows on the Spec Network. So be sure to check those out. Otherwise, uh, tweet at us. Talk to us. We love hearing from you. Let us know what you thought. And otherwise, we'll see you next week. For my farewell message this time in honor of uh, Meg Robichaux being from, I'm I'm guessing she has like a French-Canadian background. I don't know. I'm just going to guess it, but we're going to go French this time. We're working our way through the languages. So here we go. Au revoir.